everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Talking Tigs. I'm your host, Scott Gerard, joined, as always, faithfully by my co-hosts, Tommy Johnson and Daniel Zollinger. Well, we finally got back into some LSU football, uh, our first in quite a while. Uh, you know, only a few weeks off schedule, really. Uh, but unfortunately, it will, it will be our first loss talked about here on Talking Tigs. Uh, we had a good run, I thought, mm-hmm. uh, guys, right? I mean, yeah. it was a pretty good run. Uh, I mean, I guess it's bound to happen eventually. Um, but, uh, yeah, getting back to that, the uh, the Tigers were not able to withstand the onslaught from Mississippi State, falling 44 to 34 at home against a partial crowd. Maybe maybe later Daniel can give us some, uh, or you guys can give us some insight on to, to what your, you know, your thoughts were about that and your experience at a quarterfield Tiger Stadium. Um but anyway, yeah, uh, before we get into everything, plus, you know, we'll probably we'll probably talk about some other games, too, uh, you know, after we dissect this Tigers loss. But um, before we do, I wanted to check in with the co-host, see how you guys are doing. You know, football aside, how goes it? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, this, is, this has been a pretty uh, terrible weekend. Besides, <laughs> you know, between that LSU performance and then the Saints last night, um, I don't know. What, Wayne, what's, what's the point these days? Dana, what do you think? We kind of had the best of times last year, yeah. and it looks like the start of the worst of times this year. Uh, about as big of a yin and yang as you can get. So it was, it was a tough go of it. We were out there in the sun. So hot. The sun was beaten down. Mississippi State was beating down our defense. And I mean, uh, I, was, I, was getting this, I was getting sunburned. Uh, Cordell Flott. Jay Ward were getting burned just on the just in the pass coverage, so you know burns all around. Yes, it was it wasn't the best game day I've ever been at, and like you said, it's the first loss we're breaking down here on the podcast, which is strange to say in terms of LSU football at least, but gives us something to talk about at least. So I guess we're gonna go ahead and roll into it we'll on cork right now. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I guess overall, I, I knew I wasn't going to see, you know, what I saw last year. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess it was just a, a matter of, you know, how different and in what areas. Uh, but overall, I thought the Tigers, you know, they look like a new team. We lost, you know, almost everybody um, starting over. Plenty of people with experience, mind you, but, you know, it was the first, first real, you know, first start for, for Miles Brennan. Um, you can get into his particulars. Uh, I don't know. I, I watched the game so I could, you know, it was, it was kind of rough. <laughs> it was, it was rough, especially all those, you know, uh, just not really doing anything for the first few drives, which, you know, has happened to LSU in the past, but, you know, eventually they catch, catch hold and, uh, and take off. But, um, yeah, it just, it just didn't seem like the same team, but, you know, to be expected, but I, I don't know, I guess it was just, uh, it just didn't seem like no matter what they did, it's just, it probably was never going to be enough to where I didn't, I don't know if I quite felt that way in other games past. Like if LSU to one, I'd have been very pleasantly surprised, still kind of concerned about, you know, where they go after this. But um, I also saw a lot of good things that I did expect to see, you know, in the way of Jabril Cox and Eric Gilbert and some other stuff, you know, of course, which we can get into later, but overall, I don't know. I would say it was kind of underwhelming. And I think Coach Orgeron said it best. You know, that falls on him. Um, 
no matter how many guys you lost, uh, you know, they, you got to have your team ready to play. And I, I just don't think overall that they were ready for Mississippi state and good Lord. Welcome to the SEC, Mike Leach, right? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I got some more thoughts on him and KJ Costello, who was their quarterback, but I will hand the ball off, toss sweep right to, to you, Tommy. What was your, uh, I don't know, what was your impressions of the game overall? I thought it was a, a disaster. Um, Daniel, walk Scott through what, like, just talk about, like, pregame and, like, what what ha- what occurred pregame when we're sitting there. What did I say? So this was after we were already in the stadium. We had taken our seats. They actually moved me, so I was probably three sections away from where the seats normally are, which is the, the north end zone kind of opposite the, the student section. But we were the very top, all the way in the back. They had no seats, seat backs seat anywhere. Backs, yeah. It was all bleachers. And the way they kind of had the COVID thing is they had stickers on the bench marking where you could not sit. So they have like clusters of three, whatever. You can't sit here. Then like a space of two where you could sit. And then I kind of got derailed a little bit. But then we were sitting there kind of waiting for the game. We got there about 40 minutes early. And then probably 10 minutes before the game, Tommy turns and says, like, I don't have a good feeling about this one. I think we might lose. And I was like, well, I certainly hope not. Because yeah. uh, we were watching the, the warm-ups and picking out the players and stuff, and then things went on from there. You know, it, 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 I, I really did. I had, a, I had a weird feeling about it. And there, there was absolutely no energy in that stadium. There, all the, all, so this, obviously this is the first game that I've been to, like college football game or any kind of football game in 2020. All the games on TV I've watched um, have, you know, they, they always say, all the commentators, they make a point, and now I know why. They've made a point to say, oh, wow, like the crowd noise is pretty loud right now. Oh, you know, hey, there might, might be 25%, but this crowd noise is pretty good. They're piping it in. They've said, you know, they said they weren't going to pipe it in um, through like the, 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 the like ESPN wasn't going to put crowd noise over, which they don't but they play it over the loudspeaker the whole game it's ah, and it's the loudspeaker doing it's pretty much just yeah white noise it's, coming yeah it's like it's like having a they've got a the they got a big old sleep machine on at tiger stadium and but but i mean it doesn't make up for anything there's no energy uh there's there's just watching the warm-up i mean i could just tell you know and of course it, it, i have tried to i've tried to think about it saying like okay well like Got to lower your expectations. We're not going to get what we got last year. And that's fair enough. But even the warmups, I think the warmups look sloppy. I thought I saw a lot of drop passes. I saw, I just, I felt like there was, they were dragging. And I, I think that um, it's just terrible atmosphere. I, I would, I hate to say it, but I would advise people if you're looking at trying to buy tickets or trying to come down, maybe come down. It could be fun, but go to Chimes or go to walk-ons because that my initial, and you know, maybe I'll go again. I actually left at halftime. It was, I mean, obviously the stuff on the field was, was not good, uh, you know, and I wasn't enjoying it, but I just wasn't having a good, I, I've been to games. I've been to losses before and I take losses pretty hard. I'm, I'm I'll, I'll admit it. I'm a sore loser, but um, you know, I, I think that, um, it's just it just wasn't fun regardless you usually you still kind of have fun like it's good to be there it's good to be there with all your people with all the with the what do they say with 100 of your 100,000 of your closest friends um 
I mean, you're not even there, you know, and they, they say 25%, but I think Daniel, you'll, you'll agree with me on this. It was not 25%. Well, they came out with the quote unquote official attendance. I think it was 21,000 after the game, but just from eyeballing it, it looked closer in the 10 to 15% ish range. Yeah. And for a hundred K stadium, that's 10 to 15,000 people. Cause you had some big old patches, especially in the upper decks where it was just empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the middle deck was kind of similar to what you would see on TV for some of the other games were like just kind of clumps of people throughout, but it didn't really seem like one in four seats uh, were filled. No, no, not at all. Yeah. I was going to say something about that because I could see like large swaths of the stadium that were just empty. And then there are, you know, small bunches here and there. It's like, why not just space it out? Like at like every four seats, just put somebody like, it, I don't know. I just, they, they could have put the cardboard cutouts upstairs, you know, it just, the, the spacing looked weird on TV and I was actually going to save this for later, but I mean, I, since we're talking about it, I'll ask you now um, with the game Saturday and also the, you know, like the Saints game yesterday, because, you know, the announcer says something about it. It's like, how much of a factor do you think that plays into, you know, the team maybe not looking as sharp? Because I feel like had the, there been some noise last night in the Superdome, I don't know. I think that might've helped the Saints a little bit more. I don't know if they would have won, but, I don't know. I feel like it could have got him, you know, three to 10 points, three to seven points, maybe. I think Same thing with, say, what about Tiger Stadium, though? It's like if, you know, if it was like a typical atmosphere, I still don't know if LSU might have won, but do you feel like they, like it would have just been better? I think, yeah, you're, you're on the money there, especially like in the fourth quarter. I stayed the whole game and I moved over to the student section for the second half. One, because it was in the shade and two, that, yeah, that's where everybody was moving to. By the end, everybody in the stadium was on one half of the stadium to be in the, in the shade. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. But um, so in the fourth quarter, Mississippi State was coming towards us in the north end zone. And so like we were yelling and stuff, but it was nowhere near where you normally hear to where – it's just deafening and the opposing quarterback can't say a thing. They seem to be running their offense just the same as usual, calling the plays, calling their audibles. Cause I mean, there's probably a thousand ish people right there, not the normal 20,000. And so we weren't really making much of a difference at all, uh, which was kind of depressing because there was a little bit of energy for a while, kind of mm-hmm. in the third quarter to early fourth quarter with those turnovers. And we were getting back into it and then just kind of pop the bubble at the very end. But it, uh, it definitely wasn't the normal Tiger Stadium raucousness. No, and, and I think also, um, you know, I, I say that when, when, L, when, when, when an, an LSU game at its best, the opponent comes in, they're playing, tw- it's, it's 12 on one. I really think that, that, that the atmosphere at Tiger Stadium, I mean, they know that Florida, I think about that Florida game. The Florida game last year was the most unreal experience. I think that was the best experience I've ever had at Tiger Stadium. <laughs> And the entire game, it was deafening. I mean, they couldn't hear a thing. You know, they couldn't hear a thing. I couldn't hear a thing. Uh, it was it was an unreal experience. And the the drop off. And I, I I get that Mississippi State is not you know Florida, but the the drop the drop off from a normal SEC matchup to what what that what that was. It's it's just unacceptable in my view. And I think it. I think. Yeah, I think it's un. It is impossible to think that that doesn't have an impact on our team. You know, it's impossible to think that they can get up the same way that they do. That they to think that the players, you know, who were on the team last year, who played in the Florida game, 
that to think they're as excited and energized and ready to go for that as they were for the Florida game, it's, it's just impossible. And if, if you think that, you know, you're naive. And so I think it's a, I think it is a huge factor. Um, I don't believe that like they're not, you know, it would, it would, it wouldn't make sense, but if they like turned the crowd noise up when Mississippi state had the ball, that would be more indicative of like how it normally is, but they're not going to do that. So they, the only reason they have the crowd noise is to make TV sound more realistic. So it's not just like, (laughs) just like a pin dropping, you know? Um, But I mean, overall, I think it, I think it, it makes me really upset because, um, you know, all the critics will say, Oh, well, you got what you wanted. You got LSU football, but like, in my view, that's not LSU football. (laughs) <laughs> right it's light lsu football light yeah what about you daniel yeah i think everything that tommy said is, is true for the most part and it's tough to see things kind of go down in that style when you know how good it could be and the energy that they can provide so it's it's like you said they're really not quite the same but uh, i guess with that we can go into what was actually going on on the field, kind of the reason why everybody was there, which itself didn't go so well either. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, Coach O commented on that. And the last thing I'll say about, you know, just their overall performance, you know, I think it falls on him and he rightfully took blame for it because, you know, home, home environment or not, everyone's going to have that. You know, when they go to Vanderbilt this next week, Vanderbilt's not going to have any well, sorry, bad example, I guess. Hey, it's going to be a normal game for Vanderbilt. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, like when they go into the swamp or if they, you know, when they go into Auburn, if it's the, the same thing, you know, it doesn't matter. Auburn could be up for that game. They don't need a crowd behind them. You know, that's all that matters. Like Mississippi State was just, it looked eerily similar to that uh, game a few years ago where, you know, LSU had beaten Mississippi State, I don't know, like a dozen years in a row or something like that. And then Dak Prescott came in and put on a show. Right. Yeah. And Dak Prescott put on a show. And it's like LSU was never fully out of the game it just you just had a feeling that mississippi state was just not going to let them win they just they weren't going to let it happen they were too good it was the perfect collection of players uh at the, at the right time and coaching i guess um but yeah i don't know as far as lsu goes i mean let's just just look at the offense for the second like i said i watched the game so it was kind of rough to watch i did see some good things um one thing i will say though is if you just look at miles brennan's stat line like if you didn't watch the game but you just looked at the box score it looks like he had an okay game for a a first-time starter Mm -hmm. coming out of the gate the two interceptions were troublesome obviously but you know 27 46 345 yards with three tds you know and i I don't know um i mean even even you look at uh terrace marshall's stats uh, eight receptions 122 yards two tds that's that's good production it's just you know, I just, it wasn't consistent. And, um, I think my only, like miles can sling it, but I think it's just the quick decisions that's lacking. Oh, yeah. Cause I could just see each, each time he dropped back, they were already on him. And I think that's also an also offensive line issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a bunch of new starters there as well. Uh, but he's gotta, he's gotta make quick decisions like this week. I think that's, I don't know if I'm in swinger, that's what I'm doing. It's like, you need to hike the ball and just start counting down from three, right? As you hike it, three, two, one, 
where am I going? Because they, they're already on him. Like until the O-line gets solidified a little bit more and can maybe withstand some pass rush because he was sacked. Good Lord. Uh, seven times. Yeah, seven times. And, and so, hurried a lot more than that. A lot of times it didn't count as a sack because he like barely threw the ball away. But, but I also pretty much a sack. I also think that's on him a little bit because, you know, granted, like he, he was pressured a lot. But the thing that I noticed, and I think this was probably his most troublesome spot, he scrambled. A, I think he scrambled way too much. I think he scrambled and tried to make those, those Joe Burrow-esque on the run, run and gun throws across his body or, or down the sideline. And I, you know, I don't think that's his game. I don't think that's many people's game. It scared me, you know, first two or three games when Joe was doing it, it scared me because I didn't know what we were witnessing at the time. You know, then, then I was like, okay, that's Joe. Like, that's what he does. Um, but for nine, you know, 99 out of a hundred people, that's not a high percentage play. And I commented on it last year, and I think that this is something that's, that is really overlooked. But Burrow, Burrow was a great scr- uh, scrambler. You know, it's well documented. Everybody knows it. But I still don't think he was a dual threat quarterback in the same way that Justin Fields or Derek King is. Right? I don't think that Burrow's not running a four four forty. He's you know he's not a he's not going to base his offense off of a read option. He's the not him Tebow. Right. Yeah, he's not Tim Tebow. <laughs> the thing that Burrow did that is harder, you know, it doesn't it's, it doesn't make the highlight film. It doesn't make the the Heisman, um, you know, Heisman stinger video. But the thing that he did that made him so successful, in my opinion, is when he was in the pocket and he saw pressure. He didn't always automatically just run away. He was he he knew the pocket so well that he could take one step to the left or one step to the right or one step up or one step back. And that bought him another second. And that turned it from a two second, you know, two seconds in the pocket to two and a half or or to three and a half or to four. And that little, that one move while it, that he can make easily while still watching the field, still looking down the field buys him time. It, It makes the, it makes the secondary have to cover for longer and you know, they, just like the quarterback has a has an internal clock, everyone on the defense has an internal clock of how long a play should really last. And eventually, I mean, you'll watch it if you, especially in high school football, uh, people want it more inexperienced. But all, but I mean, you'll watch it, you'll see it on in college and in the NFL. If a play goes on too long, there'll be people who are like, "What's going on? Why hasn't it ended yet?" Because it just in your mind, you're thinking, "Okay, well, like it should be about over now." If it, by being able to buy yourself time, and I don't mean by running around and scurrying around and having people chase you, but just buying time by moving in the pocket, that is what that's how you get, uh, you know, that's how you get people to run them run themselves open. And I didn't see that at all from from Brennan, and that's something that that I you know Brady Tom Brady does that he's done that for years. That's something that I noticed with Burrow early on last season. And I said, that's Brady right there. And I think that's a, that's a huge, a huge thing that, that needs to be worked on. Yeah. And then one thing to add about that, this is a little bit kind of tangential, but something that I thought hurt miles was our kind of inability to set the run and establish that because discounting the sacks that Brennan took, we ran about 30 times for a hundred yards, which isn't the worst stats ever, but like for, 
any LSU team like last year, Clyde, you'd have him run like 12 times for like a hundred instead of 30. And so we were just not getting much uh, effective between the tackles. And so what that free Mississippi state up to do was drop their linebackers into coverage Mm -hmm. and help out on those like slants and crossing routes where miles is going to try and establish his bread and butter on those kind of quick slants. And then now those slants are covered up. And so he has nowhere to go with the ball. So he has to try and roll out and find his second or third option downfield. And then that guy may not be open. And so then the, the play is blown up and it's just over. And then that kind of hurts his confidence too when he can't make the throws initially to kind of set his pace. And you definitely saw that uh, as he kind of got a little bit more and more kind of hesitant with this throwing and it kind of compounded on himself. It was almost like that quote from Sam Darnold like two years ago in the NFL, like he was seeing ghosts out there. Like he didn't want to get rid of the ball because he was scared they were going to pick it. And then like he didn't really want to hold on to it either because he knew he was going to get sacked. Um, and so you can't really place all the blame on one person or, or one unit, but it was kind of just a collective um, failure to, to get the offense to where they needed to be. And you could definitely see the, the hurt that was felt now that Joe Brady is not there. Uh, people say it's mostly Steve Insminger anyway, but in my opinion, I think Joe Brady was uh, a little bit more key than maybe we realized, at least at this point. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. The offense to me, it looked the same um, as far as the, the formations are the same. They're trying to do the same stuff. You got Brennan, you know, Brennan and Curry in the backfield. Brennan motions Curry out. He goes to a flanker position, you know, out kind of split out wide. Um, you got the same types of, uh, you know, formations with, um, you know, three wide, three wide receivers and, uh, you know, three wide trips on one side or, four wide receivers, five wide receivers, empty backfield. Uh, one thing that we saw a little bit more of this time that, you know, we probably didn't see as much of was a lot of the tight end use, but that's expected because of Eric Gilbert. Um, and the, I did see one, one new wrinkle that, that I saw like one or two times, um, but I didn't, see, I didn't see a lot of it at all last year was the use of like a wing back where they have like a, a fullback kind of, or a, a running back, you know, play right behind the, the offensive line. But other than that, I think the offense, I think the, I think Insminger is right in that. Yeah. We, we kept the same offense Brady left and, but we, we still know, you know, it's not like we, he didn't take the playbook with him, you know? but um, I, I definitely think there, there was a drop off like we expected. I think the issue more is not that, Oh, miles Brennan isn't Joe Burrow that we all knew that. But I, I just I think that the I think that the production was so so down um, that it just needs a little bit of improvement. You know what I mean? Like we were in that game and we didn't deserve to be in that game. Right. That's we we lost. They beat us. They whipped us for four quarters, and we were still in the game. Yeah. If they didn't, which kind of shows you the talent we have. If we weren't kind of just like gifted three big turnovers, then it, the margin would have been much worse. I mean, yeah, we should have lost that game by, by we should have lost that game by 50 or 40 points. Yeah. All but right. Like, so let me ask you, since you said, you know, they, it was the same, same offense. It, like if they were just a little bit better, like maybe LSU could have lucked out a win. So let me ask you guys this. Do you think had the original number seven, not opted out this season that that would have made that much of the difference that you're talking about. Like would having Jamar chase back. Cause I don't know. I was thinking about it. It's like, he, 
he's probably, you know, that's who Miles Brennan was working out with up until he opted out, right? I mean, I figured that would have been his number one. I mean, then he leaves and now he's got a, I don't know, I guess Terrace Marshall's his number one. So I, I don't know, you think having Jamar Chase would have made the difference to maybe, I don't know, to where the offense wasn't, didn't take as big of a dip? I think it's hard to say. Um, obviously having the number one wide receiver in the country probably not going to hurt you, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I, I can totally see, I can see a, a situation where the same thing happens. You know, it, there was just something about, I, I, that's why, I, that's why I said it to Daniel as we're sitting in the stadium, I was like, we're going to lose this game. There was something about being there and the, just the way they were warming up and the way it just, it didn't feel right. right. And you know, I don't know if uh, I don't know if having you know if having Clyde and Burrow and all of them on there with that with that energy that kind of whatever you call it karma energy da 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 I almost feel like anybody would have lost it, it mm-hmm. just it just did not feel right and you can right. you get that feeling and yeah. I guess yeah it's as good a time as any to mention it's the same type of situation with Derek Stingley being out for the game mm-hmm. uh, on defense, which I would argue his presence would have been a lot better or a lot more helpful than Jamar Chase. Just no, because, yeah, yeah, definitely. Just because of the way our, our DBs got, got lit up. Um, but it is at the same time, it's hard to say one guy or, or one player would have made the difference. It's almost like an Alabama, that Alabama game two years ago when Devin White was out for the first mm-hmm. half. And it's like, oh, we can't wait for Devin White to be in the second half. Things are going to change around. <laughs> and then he showed up, and then, like, the beating was just as bad. He had, like, three tackles. Yeah, <laughs> although, like, a number one Alabama is different than, like, Mississippi State. But it kind of shows you, like, one player. And if he's not the quarterback, it's hard for him to change the game by himself. And, and I mean, I think that the people – a lot of people were saying, oh, if we just hold, had Stingley, like, that would have, you know, shut everything down. Like – KJ Costello they, threw for 623 yards. Yeah. Well, you maybe know, like, he would have only thrown for 500 if we had. Yeah, I was about to say, maybe he throws for 550 or 500. <laughs> he still threw for 500 yards. I mean, I, I don't, I, you know. All right, but um, going but, but going forward, like, do you think this is, like, what we saw Saturday, is that just what we should expect for this season? Or, I don't know, I feel like they'll get better, obviously, but – um, it's just going to be, is it going to be a long, hard season or is it just, you know, they're, they're just kind of slow coming out of the gate. And I don't know, we talked about this, you know, off, off the air, but, um, uh, or actually I mentioned it last week too. in one of my, my predictions, it's like, it, depending on what we see miles, I'd say this week at Vanderbilt is a good indicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, as far as if miles can take an, a step out of that game, just put it behind him and do what he wants because he he said after the games like I, I gave it my all which I can respect him for it also concerns me because like if, if that was like his top play then you know LSU's in for a long season unless Coach O you know decides to throw in TJ Finley or somebody else just to mix it up see if that can't spark something because um LSU just did not really had a well I mean they had a couple sparks you know um, the Jabril Cox touchdown and some interceptions here and there. Elias Riggs got his first interception. We'll talk about defense in a minute, but I know it's like, um, do you really think this is the best it'll be? You know, I, I kind of feel like 
I, people were talking to me about this, asking me, I think me and Daniel, we talked about this after the game too. And obviously we were texting with you, Scott. I, I, I agree. Like, I don't think, I think miles gets, I think he gets to the next game. I think he might even get the third game. It's so hard. Um, you know, you don't want to shake this guy's confidence and then basically, you know, then throw, basically throw him out for the rest of the season. If he, you know, he's, he's earned the team. They say that he's the leader. They say that this is miles team. He, you know, Joe passed the torch to him. You pull him in at halftime of the first game of the year, put in TJ Finley or put in Max Johnson. He's kind of burned. Yeah. You kind of just chalk the whole season up at that point. Yeah. You said like, all right, we're just going to rebuild and focus on our young players. I think it, we at least try and, and go a little bit longer and say like, all right, we can win with this guy. Like Tommy was saying. And then if things look good, or at least better in the Vanderbilt game, then there can be some hope for the future. Because like you said, there, there were some flashes of good play from various players, mm-hmm. um, but we just couldn't put it all together. And if things don't go well, then uh, it might be some some bad signs for the, the heavy hitters later on in the schedule. And I mean, let's be honest, like looking forward, um, our schedules doesn't, isn't at this point, you know, at sitting at 0-1, I mean, yeah, sitting at 0-1, our schedule doesn't really line up that great for us. When we broke down the season to begin with, yeah, this was not a loss we had. This was this was nobody here predicted a loss. Um, nobody here, you know, was was really concerned about Mississippi State. Now maybe that's on us, your humble pundits. But yeah. still, well, I think I mean the experts had you know LSU was minus it was minus seventeen. Vegas right. had Vegas had LSU at, at a two touchdown favorite. So right, like the narrative was that we weren't supposed to lose until Florida, and they weren't supposed to lose either, and that was going to be like a big that was going to be like the big game, big showdown like rematch from last year. Test for both teams, and Florida they played very well against Ole Miss from what I saw. So well, no, Ole Miss had them pretty close to begin with. Yeah, they, they uh, yeah, then they pulled ahead. Um, Kyle Trask kind of you know put it on them. But, but uh, what, okay, let's let's just say you know I'm willing to say you know what they just weren't ready for this game. But, like, they have two more games before they play at Florida. So, I'm willing to say, all right, well, if, if you know, they can get things right and look good at Vanderbilt and then next week, you know, if that's the case. But, like, if Miles is still – like, if he struggles all game at Vanderbilt or if it's just, you know, kind of ho-hum performance, uh, and then again the next week, it's like it, if you don't introduce somebody else by then, then you're kind of, you know, more or less stuck with him for Florida. And then it's like – how do you, how do you even, I don't know how you make up for that. Like if he's, if he's not great at Vanderbilt on the road, then how's he going to win in the swamp? You know, I don't, you know, I think that, I think that what has to be in the back of, you know, Coach O and the other decision makers minds is it's not even really about this season at this, you know, like it's really sucks to say that at, after game one, kind of got it, you know, you're looking forward, but in my mind I am because the game, the, the season's shorter is, is shortened to begin with. Yeah. And with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 adding themselves in, and the Big Ten adding themselves in at less games, Pac-12, cons- you know, I, they're going to have less games. But I'll, I'm here to tell you right now, they're probably going to be a Big Ten or Pac-12 team in the playoff. They're just going to sneak in. You know, it just makes sense for TV. You know, they're going to want somebody. They're not going to put four SEC teams in the in the playoff. They're not going to. No, I mean, but they're not going to just. It would just be uh, the only one I would see would be Ohio State. As far as the Pac-12, I don't know. I think we could 
table that for a little bit later because they're they're not even playing as many games as the Big Ten. Yeah. So, but uh, I, I don't know. It's I I don't know. I'm not willing to write off the season just yet. But it's I don't think that's a loss anyone expected to have. But I'm not saying write off the season, uh, but but I think my my point is that the field just got two times more crowded. You almost have right. to say that we have to win out at this point. We have, yeah, exactly. And like, then with the, the people on our schedule, that the chance of that is, I mean, did slim. anybody watch Alabama? I know I did. <laughs> I, I didn't see anything. I mean, they looked real good as usual, okay. but you know, Bama looked really good. Florida looked good. Auburn looked pretty good. Um, you know, Georgia looked, eh, they, they looked bad and then they looked good, but uh, yeah, I think I think Daniel's right. You know, at this point now the pre- it, it's similar. It's it's just like when, um, in in two years ago when jo- Joe's first year, we went to Florida. We were expected to win pretty you know pretty well. You know, LSU was I think LSU was favored. We were going playing at the swamp, and we lost. And that put and we, this was after the big win against Georgia, and we were number two in the nation. Right, that put all the pressure on us oh, we have to win out, and, and, and then we couldn't afford to have that loss against Bama. And, you know, it's, it's been documented with the playoff system. Like, you can – you know, you could lose one game. You could lose one game against a really quality opponent. But I don't – you know, now it doesn't really set up the same way. Right. And with three tough road games, Auburn on the road, and uh, at, or two tough road games, Auburn on the road, Florida on the road, I, you know, I think it's – it's a, it's an uphill battle, and I think that that's going to be something that needs you know that Coach O and everybody's going to take into consideration and say okay like when it, basically the, the the question would be when is it better for us to go ahead and and let TJ or let Max Johnson let's see how they do in the swamp maybe we win maybe we don't but either way that's good experience for them going into the next year. <clears throat> yeah, you, you build for the future. I'm not saying we should tank for draft picks this early but uh <laughs> uh yeah you got to think about next year too but um I don't know it's it's a thought I had also it's because you know we had such great success with the transfer QB the last two years and that's exactly what Mississippi State had I remember in the offseason we were talking about you know should LSU you know what if some transfer QB I think it was you know when the Big Ten announced they weren't like what if Justin Fields wanted to come to LSU and I don't know I guess I, I couldn't get excited about it. I was like, ah, what is that going to do to miles and the other quarterbacks in the room? You know, if, if you like go through the recruitment process and pick your school and you think you're going to get a shot and then all they do is keep bringing in transfer QBs that start right away because of their experience. Uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't high on it, but I think now I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm past that hang up because, you know, if fellas, you had got, KJ Costello. It wouldn't have looked like yesterday, but it, it wouldn't have looked like, you know, the offense that we had either. So it, he, I don't know. There's something to be said about that experience and the, just the maturity of those guys. And I think that's what we had. And, you know, I don't think that's anything miles could have done to change that. You know, it's like, it, he just, <laughs> he, he was behind Joe Burrow, you know, who went on to have one of the best or the best season uh, a college quarterback probably ever had. So it's, um, you know, it's, of course, he didn't get to see the field that much. Uh, every game was important and you had the best quarterback in the country. So um, I, I don't know. But, you know, if Justin Fields or somebody like that wanted to transfer to LSU, uh, 
I don't know if I'm coach O, I think from here on out, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I'm not taking that off the table because uh, Costello looked great. I mean, he looked like he was like a four-year starter at Mississippi State when he just transferred in. So to, to a new school. offense, to a new coach, new program, new everything. Yeah, exactly. Now, the one thing I will, I will say, which is kind of goes against everything we've been talking about, but of course, you know, Miles has another year. <laughs> He'll be here next year too, theoretically. Yeah, well, well or will he? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But he I, has another year of eligibility. Well, so. I, I guess the – and it goes back to what I was saying about he said, you know, I, I gave it my all, and, and I believe him. And, but I guess that's the thing is even if he does have this year and next year, it's like he's been in this school – he's been at the school for, you know, three years now, and he's been in this system for – this is going on his second. So, you know, I would expect – you know, LSU to, I don't know, you, you would expect them to have somebody ready to go. You know, mm-hmm. it's like all these other schools just have a, a wealth at the QB position. You know, Alabama's had two or three deep, so much so that someone had to transfer. Same with Florida. You know, they've had two to three deep for a while now. Same with Georgia. It's like, why can LSU not be two to three deep and just have someone just step in and ready to go? I think that's probably a another off-season episode, but uh, it's just something I notice, you know? No, it's really, it really is interesting because, um, you know, it, it, it brings up a, a quite, like, I kind of felt like going into the season, Mac Jones and Miles Brennan were, were similar. You know, they kind of were the number two to the Heisman contender, top-rated, top-pick quarterbacks, Tua and Joe. But I don't know what it is. And, and you know what? I think I also, I blame, I blame the, uh, I blame the decisions made at the state and institutional level that basically sent everybody home because I don't think Alabama shut down the way that Louisiana did. And, you know, I, I, I know for a fact, we were watching the Auburn game. I think Auburn had way more people in the stadium than we did. And I don't know, I can't, I don't know if why that was. I don't know if their percentage allowed in is more. It's sure felt like it. Um, but I think that there's, I think that there's some blame to be had on the way that we handled this, this shutdown that really just took away from the, you know, the ability to, to mesh as a team. And it, I think it shows that, you know, Alabama and uh, it, I mean, I, I guess Alabama, they were, you know, they were playing uh, Missouri not a very good team no. but they still looked real sharp and we didn't look sharp <laughs> and you know but so that's, that's what Saban will get you yes let's think Saban no I know it is but but the whole question you know we were talking about um last you know we talked about all last year the question was had LSU taken the step taken that next step was LSU in in the league of Clemson Ohio State Alabama and, you know, I, I don't, I, I felt like they were at, you know, at the time, I still feel like we are, I feel like there has been a change in the program, but this kind of initial, and, and I think that this, you know, maybe this is an outlier just because of the way that this year is and the way that this off season has gone. And the fact that we have no spring practice, the fact that we had no, basically no fall practice, but um, it's, I think it's very worrying. Not that, not that we lost, I, I can, you know, I'm okay. With, I'm not okay with a loss, but I can understand a loss. But the way we lost is very troubling for me in that 
I, it makes me wonder, it makes me worry. Is, is this, was that last LSU team was the 2019 LSU team, Cam Newton's Auburn. That is the, you know, what, what happened to Cam, what happened after Cam Newton left? Auburn went back to six, you know, six and six. And they toiled away and Gene Shizik lost his job. And then Gus Malzahn came back. They got, you know, they, they ended up playing pretty well, made it to a national championship loss. But, it, it, you know, that it, they were not a cemented perennial powerhouse that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State have become. So uh, I think that's, that was the more telling thing. That was what was so frustrating for me. I wanted to see Coach O talks a lot about the LSU standard of performance. And I wanted to see that per, that standard of performance on the field to where, you know, you, when it doesn't even matter whose name's on the back of the jersey. It's just like you know that, hey, when LSU comes out to play, they're going to give you this. And I didn't see that on Saturday. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much what I got. I mean, that's, you know, there was a Twitter fight about that, actually. You know, as Isaiah Simmons mm-hmm. referred to us as like a, a one or like a one hit wonder which you know uh, patrick queen had a had a good response because we we did kick their butts last year <laughs> for the title but uh i mean lsu's had a you know they've played for a title every four years so i don't know what he's talking about uh it's just that's the way i don't know uh we, but we definitely did not rebuild like clemson and alabama and ohio state do you know i feel like we you know i feel like we're in the pac-12 where it's just there's, there's no identity with this team from one year to the next, you know, it's like when there's a, a new change of quarterback at other schools, it just, it all looks the same. The scores and the performances against uh, the same teams look the same at LSU, you know, it differs from year to year, you know, uh, I don't know. I think they just need, I think if I'm old and there's another hire, uh, you just bring in a quarterback guru because I don't think they've really had that. They had they had one with Jimbo Fisher, uh, I think, but you know he's he's long gone. So they they haven't really had anybody since then that was like there to develop a quarterback. I think that'll help because they have talent elsewhere, especially on defense. Um, and you know we like we kind of like the offense. We didn't really see the best performance, but we did see some good flashes on defense, especially with Jibril Cox. And I don't know. I think he's the real deal. I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. Um, I, I didn't expect to see a, a pick six from him that this early in the season, but wow, that was, that was great. I was like, boom, breakout. That was my yeah. breakout candidate right there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know the, the defensive line. I mean, they, they, they had some pressure too. you know, they, they weren't all bad. They Mississippi state didn't really run on them. They threw all over the place, but I think that's just a Mike Leach offense, you know, that uh, he's, he's here now. So we'll, we'll see what the rest of the conference does with him. I don't know, maybe, maybe Mississippi state sets, maybe he throws for 600 every game. Uh, you know, it's, and it's up to Mississippi state and Alabama for the West, who knows, but uh, I just, th- there was no way LSU was going to stop that, you know, even with uh, Derek Stingley, I think they were just coach O said it, you know, they just, they had the rights. They had some good looks. They just didn't, you know, they weren't be able to cover these guys in the man, mm-hmm. you know, they just, there was somebody always open and I was watching, um, I was watching Cordell Flott. It's like he, his guy had plenty of catches, but he was always right there with him. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, there was, there was never like a, a, a big just blown coverage giveaway TD. There was, there was always usually somebody right there. 
So I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's, you know, the sky isn't falling there either. They just, they're, I don't know, maybe it goes back to what you were saying, Tommy. You know, they just, they didn't have enough prep. They didn't have enough cohesion but before the season. Plus, you know, it is new coach, new new defense. New so scheme, they yeah, everything, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you could pretty much say that Bo Pelini was, he was not ready for the air raid coming from Youngstown State. It was a big step <laughs> up, but it was a little bit embarrassing to see just to watch what happened. They were just passing at will. I mean, Costello's completion percentage itself was not amazing. 36 of 60, you see 60 passes, you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. But then you look back at like Washington State's stats for the past few years, like Gardner Minshew, when he was there, he was throwing 60 times a game. So that's what they do. And it's it doesn't really make much sense to me because this is the first game of the season, i.e. you have the most weeks, most time to prepare for this game before any other. So – I mean, Tommy looks like he's about to argue with me on that one. Well, they don't. Act, they don't really do that though. Like they they go through the whole season throughout in camp. I mean, Coach O's, you know, he was he was I, I was on a Zoom call press conference with him. Not like personally, I was it wasn't just me, but like I was watching one, and he was like, you know, we've already started preparing for Auburn. Like, okay, well, that, well, that being said, to me at least, you would want to put some emphasis on an offensive scheme that at LSU you've never really seen before except a little bit like the past couple years of Bama like with Tua but generally speaking that's you see they don't run that type of thing and so you would want the players to be ready you can never expect something like your star cornerback to be drop out of the game the morning of and have to step up but I mean that's just one player and our secondary especially the trio of Cordell Flott, Jay Ward and uh and Darren Evans, the transfer from Nichols, is the, the primary uh, corners. They just kind of just got blown up. Like you said, Scott, they were they were running with them, but they weren't, like, running super close with them. They always had a step or two. And, like, there's some communication issues, missed tackles, just real sloppy overall from the secondary. And that's hard to see from the, the school supposedly known as, as DBU. And I think, I think also the, the defensive line – um, especially the, the the ends. I wouldn't say it was a you know an awful game, but they something that, and something that I talked about earlier. You know what what I really wanted to see, and I think we kind of saw it was how would these you know quote unquote three four kind of hybrid type DNs that we've recruited for the past four years with Dave Aranda, how would they fall into a four three where you know, their role changes. And I think we did see some growing pains there. Um, now it was made up for, like you said, by Jabril Cox, who, yeah, was the real deal. I think he was probably the bright spot on the defensive side. I think Damone Clark actually looked pretty good too. Um, definitely. Jacoby Stevens looked good. Oh yeah. Uh, the other safety, you know, Todd Harris slash Mo Hampton. Eh, I, I didn't think I wasn't inspired by them. Um, well, yeah, I feel like Todd Harris, they, they should have, they didn't even think he was going to play for the first game, maybe two because of his injury. So maybe he's still hampered by that. But, uh, I mean, yeah, Jacoby Stevens, man, he had, he had two sacks, two fumble recoveries. He looked every bit of number seven. Yeah. So, um, I mean, those, those were some good spots. And I think, you know, as those guys, now that they've got a game under their belt, you know, a lot of, like you've said, a lot of these games that played before this week, you know, a lot of them look sloppy because these guys, you know, they just, you know, they're ready to hit somebody else one, but they're, I don't know if it's how they're prepping or practicing, but it's just, it breeds some sloppiness. Well, uh, the tackling 
I mean, we had a, we had trouble tackling last year and mm-hmm. that was with a full spring, summer, you know, every, everything we missed a ton of tackles, especially at the secondary level. But I, you know, for all the, it feels like we're really piling on this team. There's some of this stuff we can't, you can't really, nobody can control. We can't control. They sent them home. You know, they were gone. They spent the, they spent the spring at their house. I saw that, you know, this kind of the cute videos of, of the players at home lifting, you know, dragging their cars and miles Brennan chopping wood and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But nothing replaces uh, actual and zoom calls, you know, Oh, coach O said, you know, Oh, wow. The zoom calls have been really helpful. We're doing a lot of football IQ stuff. It's like, well, you know, they might be big brain football players, but if they're not tackling in practice and they're not actually practicing at all, you know, the tackling is really, and we've seen that across college football. It's something that, that you really have to, you, there's no, there's no substitute for actually practicing it. And it's a skill. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a skill and it's something it's it's a thing where you know you lose it over time. If you don't do it, if you don't keep doing it, then you lose it. And so especially at the secondary level, I thought our tackling needed to be a lot better. Yeah, the way, where you saw it hurt us yesterday was they would throw maybe a 12 to 15 yard kind of like out route to the sideline and the corner would go in for the tackle and do kind of a half juke spin move, break the tackle and then he's gone for 30. Yep. Um so like I think I'm looking at the stats right now. Mississippi State had four players with a reception of 30 yards or more. Uh, and then they had three players over a hundred yards receiving. I mean, obviously that was so what happens when you have a 600 something passing yards, but plays that could have been contained or like at least mitigated the damage, just 10, like, 20 yard, you know, plays. Yeah. Which, which are going to happen over the course of a game ended up breaking for way longer. And then that could just kind of put you in a hole when they're just marching down the field at will. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a lot of the, um, the challenge, you know, and Daniel, you're right. Like a lot of the, the the throws that we saw Costello, you know, make were, you know, drag drag slants, cross the field stuff, and then the the player, the Mississippi State receiver, makes a man miss, and he's you know he's gone for thirty yards. It, I did, it wasn't like just absolute deep bombs yeah, every single time. They're, they're not running like four verticals like you would see in Madden. They're like, yeah, they don't, they don't have Russell Wilson throwing the ball 60 yards downfield, but they're running an effective mid-range passing game and they pass over and over and over and give you so many different looks. That you just don't really know what to expect. And then the LSU defense got tired. They were suffering. They couldn't handle it and, and it just kept on rolling. And that's the, and that's the, that's the, Mike Leach scheme. It's all based off the mesh play. That's, you know, where uh, you have the two inside inside slot receivers run uh, across the, across the middle of the field. And they, a lot of times they'll actually in high school in high schools, they'll have each other, they'll have them high five each other because they want them to get as close as they can without running into each other. Um, and like in practicing, they'll have them high five. And that is, you know, creates the separation, especially if they're in man, if they're in man coverage, then it's almost like they call it like a pick play. It's almost like in, in basketball where you have somebody set up a screen and, you know, you saw that's, that's what Mike Leach has, has made his career off of. And you saw it executed to perfection against, uh, you know, the alleged DBU, which a lot of people were, a lot of people were going after us for on TikTok and on, you know, Instagram and, I can't, I don't know. I can't argue with them after that, after that performance, I'll give I'll give the crown to Ohio state for a week. Let's see how they do against Vanderbilt. Right. Well, it's, we can also say that it, 
losing your the the guy that you know could be the Jim could be the Jim Thorpe Award winner this year. He losing Derek Stingley right before the game, you know, I mean that did have a I think a pretty decent impact. Again, I don't know if it would have changed the final score. Like I don't know if LSU would have won simply if they had him, but I, I don't know. I just have to feel like there it wouldn't have been as bad. So maybe LSU might have had a chance. But to go back to what you guys said about you know you don't prep for a team. I remember back in twenty eleven. LSU knew they were going to play Oregon the first game in that, you know, kickoff game in Houston. And I remember what they said was they, they practiced for Oregon actually all like summer mm-hmm. and what they did, but they just worked on tempo. Cause that was back in the Chip Kelly offense and they ran yeah. the fast tempo before really everybody else did. Right. And, you know, I don't think they had anyone to mimic whoever they had at the time. I forget who it was. It, it was Michael like, James. No, they but have. I'm thinking about quarterback. Like it wasn't uh, it wasn't Thomas. Possibly. But basically it's like they that's how they were ready for Oregon is they just practiced that tempo over and over and over again. So I feel like probably LSU could have prepared a little bit better for a Mike Leach offense on defense. But also it's like think about it too. You know, what if, if LSU didn't have Tyron Matthew in that game against Oregon, you know, things wouldn't have been quite the same. I still think LSU probably would have won, but, you know, they wouldn't have those flashy plays. So who knows? Stingley might have, you know, helped a little bit more than what we think, but uh, just still, they just – team wasn't ready. That falls on coaching. So I, I look to the coaching to fix it. Uh, I don't think we'll see the next thing – I don't think we'll see the same thing this week at, at Vanderbilt, but, uh, you know, I, Coach O took the blame, and I say let him. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's tell the truth Monday. I feel like we've been telling the truth. Coach O told the truth. And now I feel you know what? I'm gonna call it audible. We have we have railed on our own team for <laughs> almost an hour now. Let's move on. It's in the past. We can't do anything about it. Right. Enough truth telling. Yeah. Um I, so yeah, we got Vanderbilt coming up. I, I don't know. I I haven't I didn't I don't even oh, know what Daniel before Walker. before we move on. Can I give one more uh, depressing little trivia fact that I have prepared? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So, do y'all know when the last time that LSU and the Saints both had uh, losing records as active teams was? Mm. No, it was by my calculations. I was researching this last night, November thirteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Dang. Yeah, you had to go back a ways. That was uh, the day of LSU's last game that season when they beat Auburn to finish the season three and eight. And the Ooh. Saints at that point were one and seven. So 1999, not, not a the Aaron gr- Brooks era. <laughs> not a great time for Louisiana football. But I was surprised by how far you had to go back to, to get that because, especially LSU, because the only times we had a losing record is mostly when we lose the first game of the season, yeah. like we did this year, because we lost to Wisconsin a few years back but the saints were winning at that point. And then like a few other times before that was a similar situation. So, uh, Louisiana football fans aren't really used to this, <laughs> but all right, let's move on to more positive news. Yeah. And, um, just really quickly, I mean, it, it wasn't a big part of the game, but I think, uh, you know, sp- special teams, it, it was okay. I mean, Kate York hit two field goals, which is nice, but, uh, just punting and kickoff, there was absolutely nothing. I know they really didn't get any, kickoff returns but just they had they they were only able to return one punt i mean i think mississippi state only punted three times too so uh a lot a lot remains to be seen there but um 
I don't know. I, I did get a defensive touchdown, which I was happy to see. Thanks to Jabril Cox. Um, but like I said, I think LSU regroups and they, sh- they show a little bit more form this week against Vanderbilt. I don't think it's going to be, you know, as easy as maybe we might think, but uh, I think LSU will still, uh, will still come out on top. And I think they'll, they'll keep their, their 30 point mark going because they, they didn't look good and they, we were lucky to score 34, but we at least got 34. So I, I got my 30 point, 30 point mark hit. Um, I know. Is there any other, other games you guys, uh, I know you said you watched a few SEC games. Um, I don't know. Did, every, did everyone else, I know you like Bama, but I mean, is, does everyone else look like they did last year pretty much or is Oklahoma lost? Oklahoma lost, uh, for the second year, second in year to K state. Interesting. Um, I think that Auburn, I think Auburn looked, I think Auburn looked as good as they did last year you know, maybe slightly improved on the offensive side. I think defense, they're definitely missing Derek Brown and um, the other defensive lineman. Yeah. Marlon something. I was keeping track of that Texas game. They barely squeezed out against Texas Tech. Yeah. I was at the game, so I couldn't couldn't watch it. Apparently, I saw they won in overtime after being down by 10 with like two minutes left or something and then came back and won. So Texas barely escaped. Oklahoma lost. My prediction that the Big 12 team makes the championship not looking good, <laughs> especially now that the Pac-12 is back. Uh, but I think that, oh yeah, and then you know, your Georgia Bulldogs were having a rough time there for a while with Arkansas, but with their quarterback situation. I know, but it, that that always happens, you know. Uh, it, that's on the road against Arkansas. It's not a sexy game, you know, if you're a Bulldog. So I, I get it, but I mean, they got the win. So hey. You know who didn't? You know who didn't look too bad in my view, and someone I've kind of—I feel like I've kind of been high on going into the season. I think Tennessee looked decent. I, I liked what I saw from them, uh, you know, against South Carolina. Now the score, you know, wasn't maybe it was, you know they didn't beat the tar out of them or anything, but I felt like they played pretty, uh, you know, pretty good improved football. Yeah, also of note is that Texas A&M, the number 10 team in the country who has been very vaunted this year, barely beat Vanderbilt 17-12. to 12. So I don't know whether that means that Vanderbilt is good and we should be even more scared next week or True. that Texas A&M uh, has been overhyped as, as usual, as has been in the past. Um, Where was the game? It was at A&M. Yeah, at A&M. What? So it's not a great look for the Aggies to start off the season. The year they're supposed to be like the best team in 10 years for them or whatever since Johnny Manziel. Have they already awarded Kellen Mond the Heisman after that performance? Is that what uh, I, heard? I think he's already filming his Heisman commercials. With okay, Nissan. yeah. He's already at the Heisman house. He's at <laughs> yeah. the Nissan Heisman house. Wait, okay. Can we just can we just also want one final thing, a little complaint I have, but I'm also I'm, I'm, I don't I'm questioning it. Where is Burrow in the Heisman house? I saw Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram and and Tebow and all the all the other Heisman's. Why he's is Burrow not there? He's I don't know. He's who knows. He's probably got enough going on. Have they ever <laughs> let like rookie Heisman winners be in those commercials? I thought that uh, Lamar Jackson was there like the day after. Like I feel like okay, well, Kyler Murray was there last year. Was he? I don't really remember. Yeah, no, I definitely remember Kyler Murray being there. Uh, maybe it's you know COVID. Who knows? Maybe I don't know. Come on, get get Burrow. Have him zoom in. I don't know. I want to see. I want to see him at the Heisman House. Exactly. All right. Let's let's talk about Vanderbilt. 
Well, I don't know if there's really that much more to talk about other than uh, what we can... well, we're playing Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah, in, in that, it's at Nashville. In Nashville again. Hopefully, uh, they have their liquor cabinet stocked so yes. we don't drink them dry again. <laughs> I think that's probably the highlight that most people are looking forward to at this Vanderbilt game. Although there will be like seven LSU fans there, probably. <laughs> True. Um, there's a strong contingent of LSU alumni though in Nashville. I know a lot of people who live in Nashville. So that's cool. really kind of a humble brag. I, what can I say? I know a lot of people that live in a city. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Nashville's booming. You know, a lot of people move there. I know. I would, uh, I would actually consider it if I, 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 I've visited there. I've worked there. I like it. Um, yeah. I'm not a big country music fan, but um, I, I like the town. It's got a good music scene. Um, good food too from what i've heard from what i've heard i've never i haven't spent a ton of time there but um i went oh, no definitely cool. all right what, what yeah about i'm not i'm not with this whole nashville hot chicken I, it's just i don't know that that can go away really i think it's kind of good to each to each his own <laughs> that's all right but um i was gonna say as far as the football you'll think stingley plays next week against vanderbilt i supposed to get him back tomorrow maybe right yeah um we may be speculating too early um the thing the thing is is that i i i think that i think that whether he plays or not will be will show how concerned they are about the the secondary if right. you know what i mean like if if this is if if this if that secondary performance is basically what we've seen what they've seen at practice the whole time and you know it's like look like our secondaries it is what it is it's gonna be you know we got a lot of leaks then I think he probably plays if he gets if he has if he has any sort of green light he plays. I think that if if they're like okay like that was kind of an anomaly we're, we're we've got a good secondary then I wouldn't be surprised if you just sit him. Yeah, because as of when we're recording Monday evening, they haven't really said anything official about his health. The rumors are that he's pretty much okay. It was kind of just like a short term illness, which is good for him. I'm glad. Uh, but there was some discussion about like if he's sick or something worse has happened and he sees what happened in the past game, does he pretty much just opt out, opt out and say like, I don't want any part of this, but I think he's a little bit too competitive yeah, he's competitive. and he, he wants to win. He wants to show why he's the best corner in the country. So if he can be out there, I would imagine that he wants to be, he's a gamer. He's a baller. He's a playmaker shot and caller? a shot caller. <laughs> all all those things. Uh, <laughs> so Randy Moss quotes. No, I, think, uh, I think he uh, no I, I think he'll play I mean he probably wants to play I don't know what like they still didn't say what specifically it was maybe it was like a, just an allergic reaction to something but it was, maybe he got stung by a murder hornet I don't know it's 2020 I, I'm I'm willing to go with any theory at this point um, but looking to Vanderbilt so they I'm uh, just checking out the stats on that game 17 to 12 at home against Vanderbilt you think Texas A&M I'm sure they're happy with the win but uh like neither team it they didn't really do much like they no one had more than 200 yards passing on either side uh kellen mon actually had three fumbles so i feel like his maybe his heisman his heisman moment <laughs> his yeah, his odds his odds might be lower than joe than uh, than miles brennan's at this point literally slipping um, out of his hands right uh but i mean there there was just i think a&m had like five turnovers um, I mean, and Vanderbilt gifted the ball of them a couple times too, but uh, just that's just not the performance you would think from your, you know, your, your senior quarterback. 
So I, I don't know. I don't think A&M is going to be what they, everyone expects, but neither were we, but um, keeping it positive. Uh, I think LSU is going to do much better than a 17 to 12. And that'll be on Vanderbilt's turf. Um, I think, I think we'll probably take care of business against Vanderbilt. I think it'll be a bounce back game. Um, you know, maybe we want to dive into some score predictions. I feel like LSU will probably put up, you know, similar to what we put up last year. I mean, not last year, last, last game. Uh, I think we'll put up, you know, maybe 35, 40 points and Vanderbilt will put up like 14. Yeah. Never forget that Vanderbilt scored 38 against the vaunted LSU defense last year. Although we weren't really vaunted last year. I guess so. I think that was the most besides like Alabama. Didn't Grant not play in that game last year? We had some people not playing. I think we had like multiple. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's another, that's another thought I had too, by the way, is uh, I remember last year when our season started, we were like, Oh my God, we'd love this offense. Uh, Wow. Our defenses really need some work. (laughs) in <laughs> uh, this year, you know, it's like we could say the same without the offensive part, obviously. <laughs> we just but, need more. <laughs> we just yeah, need some like work. They, they just, uh, like last year, it's we figured, all right, well, we're going to have to outscore somebody. Like the defense got better as the year went on, which, you know, I'm hoping they'll do now, but like they'll have to get better immediately. Um, you know, otherwise it's for a long season. But I, I do feel like they'll, they'll come into their own, kind of like they did last year. But I'll say... I'll say uh, LSU 35, Vanderbilt 17. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm similar to what I had last week. I think the defense plays a little bit better, especially with Stingley. Um, I was kind of close last time when I said 38 for LSU's offense. I'm going to go a little bit more, 42 to uh, 17. What's Uh, the number on that game? LSU's favorite minus by, 20. LSU's favorite by 20. So I don't know. Um, maybe, take, maybe take Vanderbilt with the points. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I hesitate to say LSU covers 20 points. So maybe, hopefully I'm wrong, but I think if, if, I'm, if I'm a betting man, I might be taking Vandy, the Commodores, with the points. Okay. There's, a, there's some good, good matchups. Uh, this upcoming week, though, I'm just looking around the SEC slate, uh, A&M will actually be playing at Alabama. So that will be a good test to see, you know, if, uh, we'll, we'll probably see A&M as pretenders, you know, yeah. but Auburn, Auburn will be playing at Georgia. That's usually a October, November game, but they got a second game out of the gate. Uh, number seven at number four. I think that Auburn Georgia game is going to be really good. Yeah. I think that will be a good game too. I'm kind of on Auburn, Auburn plus seven right now. Um, mm-hmm. Georgia had a little bit of trouble last year. I mean, last week, I think, I think Auburn's a, a much better team than Arkansas. Yeah. So, you know, I think I like Auburn to uh, maybe have the upset. Oh, yeah. Speaking of upsets, there was one game last week where I, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, and I, I think I had to eat some words because I thought, you know, Les Miles going to Kansas, he might get them to like a middle-tier Big 12 team kind of like where he was before with Oklahoma state before we mm-hmm. came to LSU, but his team got, they didn't just lose. They got blown out by oh, yeah. coastal Carolina. It's like, I didn't even know they had a, you know, I guess I didn't know they had a football team, but I always just knew them as the basketball team in the, you know, in the, in the March madness. Uh, but wow. Getting blown out at home, no less by coastal Carolina. 
Uh, I guess Kansas is never just, they are just never going to have a football team. God bless them. Um, but anyway, any, any, uh, any other thoughts on uh, the games this week? Um, Louisiana Tech uh, plays BYU on Friday. BYU's actually looked pretty good. They've blown out both the teams they played, Navy and then Troy yeah. this past week. They're favored to beat Louisiana Tech by 23, so might be a rough time for the Bulldogs. Oh, also of note, um, ULM was favored by, I think, eight against <laughs> UTEP this past week, and they got uh, blown out. So you can, if the, the Warhawks are favored, then it's going to be bad. Yeah, whenever you see the Warhawks favored, I'd say hammer – the under hammer the underdog there because i i don't know i would love to know how often ulm covers when they're favored but i would venture to say it's not often they're not co- they're not favored right now that this right. next game against short of seven yeah but overall some some good games looking forward to this week hopefully uh we move back at least to even <laughs> that would be really sad for a program to lose to vanderbilt i don't know if we when was the last time we lost to Vanderbilt? It's got to be a while back. The bad radio to look up that trivia on the air. But I mean, no, I don't think anyone would know that off the top of their head. Uh, you know, not even Jim Hawthorne probably knows that one off the top of his head. But while you look it up, uh, so really quickly, the Pac-12 has decided that they want to join the college football world. So they, well, it's interesting though because they they made the distinction of you know. Whoever, whoever is, you know, up to date on their state guidelines and is, you know, like ready to go. So it's like they say, hey, we're going to open up football. But, you know, that's if you can, of course. So it's just kind of weird, you know, because if California's in a different state of uh, readiness or, you know, if they're in a different phase than, say, Oregon or Washington, then it's like you just like, well, you just can only field half of your division because, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Um, but I, I mean, what can they do? They're just looking around at everybody else playing kind of like the big 10 did and go, we should be doing this. But, uh, you know, it's, I guess, different States, different regulations, kind of like what you were talking about, Tommy, you're, you're kind of beholden to the, uh, the state legislature at that point. But, um, I don't know. I don't think they're going to get more than, I don't know, six to eight games in, uh, I mean, that late in the game, let's say somebody in the PAC 12 goes undefeated. Do they really deserve a spot at the college football playoff table? Uh, I think y'all know what my thoughts are on this, but uh-huh. I'm not on the committee. And sometimes, you know, stranger things have happened. Washington, remember when Washington got in and then got blown out? You know what? Yeah, I would say if, if USC had been back for years, you know, like if they were like Ohio State, where just year in and year out and they were just that good. And then all of a sudden they show up this year and they just blow teams out with their six, seven, eight games, whatever they have. Then maybe I could, but the Pac-12 hasn't been much for a few years now, so yeah. I, I don't think they'll—I don't, I don't think they'll make it in, even if someone does kind of look somewhat impressive. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think it's unlikely. They always kind of beat each other up, and then there's like one team that's pretty good that tries to make a case, but there, there's just other better candidates out there. And I think that trend will continue this year when you have good teams across college football and uh, the Pac-12 with their shortened season won't really have even the, the footing to stand on there unless there's some some crazy politics behind the scenes, which we're not really privy to. Right. And then um, as far as trivia fact of the day, number two, the last time Vanderbilt beat LSU was uh, November 22nd, 1990 in Nashville, Tennessee, when they won 24 to 21. 
And the, the last time they beat us before that was 1957. So in the past 70 years, they beat us one time. So hopefully we, uh, <laughs> they don't double that one up. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Uh, but I mean, it, I don't know. I, the only way I'd see that's even a, a closer game than it should be is, you know, Derek, Derek Mason was, um, he was a deep defensive guy. Vanderbilt's always had a, you know, like some good defensive, uh, some, just some good defensive play. They might sub in Jay Cutler. Right. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm not too worried about that even after what we saw this week. Uh, but I don't know. Do you guys have any more, uh, Anything else you wanted to toss out there? I think we might be wrapping up here soon. No, I think that uh, it was a disappointing week. I think it's. I think we've licked our wounds. Uh, I'll probably continue to be salty about this loss, but hopefully by Friday there can be some more, a little bit more excitement, and maybe we can uh, get back to five hundred. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of depressing. It is as it is to record a podcast after a loss. It's almost a little bit bittersweet because in the back of my mind, I knew we were probably going to lose eventually. And so it might be a little bit better to kind of get it over with instead of stringing us out like, Oh, we're undefeated. Or we maybe even beat Florida and then to have some late season heartbreaking losses. And uh, it kind of goes down the drain. So at least uh, we've kind of gotten there and now we know what it feels like. So we can move forward with hope instead of dread, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And if we, if we just kind of need something to just kind of put us at ease, just look back at the season we just had. And, you know, uh, you could say, well, but you guys, you know, one, one hit wonders like, ah, whatever. That's, that's probably the best season college football. I was history. Gonna say, it might be the one hit wonder, but it was <laughs> the greatest ever. It was the biggest hit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, I don't think they're one hit wonder. Like I said, every LSU, every time the, you know, the championship's been in New Orleans, which has been just about every four years, they have, you know, pretty much played in it, uh, more or less. So, uh, I don't know what he's talking about. Um, especially since, you know, they had their own verb. It was called Clemsoning remember <laughs> for a while. So anyway, um, I think that'll just about do it for us. We are going to follow up with you next week and we'll cover this Vanderbilt game. I uh, imagine we're going to have plenty of positive things to talk about. Uh, probably still some concerns, but at least we'll be feel a lot better off after LSU gets a win at Vanderbilt. And now, you know, we'll see what else the SEC and the rest of college football does. Uh, but until then, stay safe, stay tuned, and we will talk to you next time on Talking Tickets.